Okay, we're going to turn to the Bible. Uh, it's great to have you with us today. If you're, if you're visiting, a couple of hands went up. Uh, really good to have you. My name is Peter Anderson, the pastor here at Destiny. And uh, we've been on a journey looking at the Holy Spirit in the last, I guess, eight weeks, I think it is. We've been doing 10 weeks in total by the time Ivan will have come next week. But so we've been about eight weeks now. This is week nine. And we've been looking at, we're going on a journey looking at who the Holy Spirit is, how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What are the gifts of the Spirit? Uh, how to, to display the fruits of the Spirit? Lots of crucial issues, which actually, you see, when we're talking about God, we're talking about God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, but the Father and the Son, if, if we're talking geographically, they're up there, wherever there is, on a throne. But the Spirit is how we interact with the Trinity. God, by His Spirit, is here with us. He's not only with us here, but with us here. I mean, you couldn't get any closer to God. He has literally taken up residence in the hearts and lives of believers. So let's pray, and then we're going to turn to the Bible. Father, I pray today as we study this uh, really important part of the Bible that you would speak to us, you'd reveal yourself to us. God, let this not just be information in our heads, let it be transformation in our lives. Spirit of God, help us. Help me to share all that's in your mind. Help us to hear. I depend upon you, God, because I know I can't perform miracles. I know I can't change these people's lives. I know I can't uh, see a sick person healed, but I believe you, through us ordinary people, can and we ask that you would in Jesus name. Amen. All right okay there was a, a big old school lumberjack walked into this big lumberjack store. Apparently they have them and in this lumberjack store there was a impressive looking chainsaw and he, he figured that's the one I want. In fact it said on it can cut down a hundred trees a day. He said that's exactly what I want. So he took it out Day one, he just went hard at it. And at the end of the day, he'd only cut down 25 trees. This is, this, is, this is rubbish. I have to try harder. So next day, he went out, tried even harder. This time, he got 35 trees. Uh, he said, this is still not the 100 trees it promised me on the box. So he went out the next day, and I mean, he just gave it everything he could. He managed 50 trees, and he was absolutely exhausted. So he, went, he took it back to the shop. Thir- day four, he took it back to the shop and said, listen... I'm absolutely exhausted. This, this thing, it said it could cut down 100 trees. I've managed 50, and I'm a big guy. I've managed 50. And the guy looked at it, and he, he grabbed the pool cord and went, Boo! and the lumberjack jumped and said, what's that? What's that? Okay, you didn't get that, right? He didn't actually, he didn't start the thing. He was just kind of hacking trees with it. All right. Okay. If you've got to explain jokes, they're not very good. Um... So, what's the link again? Yeah, because I always have random jokes and I think, what's the link into theology? Okay, here's the link. Some of you are like the guy without the power on. You're just trying to make life happen and just try it harder, right? Or you're, you're coming against challenges in your own power uh, as, as, as if it's you versus the challenge. But human beings were never designed to live without God. You never designed to live without God. When we're talking about being a believer, we're not talking about someone who happens to have a philosophy about God. When we're talking about being a believer, we're talking about someone whose life and, and breath and whole source and everything about you is utterly dependent every moment on God. Not a theory of God, not that you've got a theology about God, but that, that he is alive and he's working in your life. We sang a song about freedom earlier. How do you deal with your addictions? I mean, we looked at that a few weeks ago in the message on the fruits of the Spirit. It's not by you saying, I'm going to take the addictions on. I'm going to try harder this time. I won't sin this time. It's by allowing God to live his life through you. And this is what we've been looking at. And, it, and the Bible talks about it in so many ways. So we looked at the fruits of the Holy Spirit this week. And in the weeks previous, we've been looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is part three on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week we spoke about prophecy and the homework. Do you remember the homework I gave you? <laughs> remember the homework? The homework was uh, you had to bring a word to someone in your workplace or in the church. 
So, <laughs> will I call you to account? That's the ongoing homework. Bring a word to someone. Don't, don't just hear God for yourself. But maybe God wants to say something to you for someone else. As a matter of interest, has anyone managed to bring a word to someone this week? Yay, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, I did that. I did, I did my homework. Go on, Johnny. What happened? No, no, come on. Get, get, get the microphone. This is Johnny. He's a DJ and he wears a funky shirt. Let's hear it for Johnny's funky shirt. Woo! Is this on? Yeah, is this on? I was DJing last night. I'm one of the bouncers. I give him, I give him a lift home and I let him to Christ. Yeah, you led him to Christ. Wow! Woohoo! Yay! Hey, dudes, you can't lick our microphone. He's off of the microphone. Bouncers, get him! <laughs> How cool is that? So you've got to do your homework. I mean, your homework isn't just so you can say, I did my homework. Your homework is so that people can go to heaven. Isn't that awesome? Heaven celebrates because a bouncer is going to heaven. How cool is that? There are thousands and thousands of people on our doorstep who are desperate because they don't know God. And some of them don't even know they're desperate. They don't know how how close to the edge they are. They, They aren't living in relationship with God. And we've got the answer. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We've accepted him because he's, he's he, he risen from the dead. He's alive now. We've accepted him. He's saved us. He's filled us with his spirit. And we've become the answer to the world. Jesus describes it in many ways. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Cities set on a hill cannot be hidden. He said, you, you know, we're like the leaven that influences everything. And not only in the world, but also by the power of the spirit, God wants to minister through you to those around you. And we said last week, there are probably a dozen people sitting around you in this room today who actually really could do with an encouragement. And wouldn't it be amazing if God gave that word to you for them? So again, that homework remains. That homework remains. Stir yourselves, folks. We only live once. We live once. I cannot bear the possibility that we just take over. We've got to live the life that God's got for us. We've got to believe him, we've got to trust in his word, and we've got to let him be God through us for his glory and his honor, his fame in this city. So God is powerful. That's the big theme today. God's power working through us. God is powerful. Revelation 19 verse 6 says, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of many thundering, mighty thunderings saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Omnipotent is one of the great attributes of God. It means he is all-powerful. Omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Nothing too hard for God. It says in Genesis 1, so 17 verse 1, this is when God appeared to Abraham. Years before God had told Abraham that he would have children. For about 20 years he's been waiting but in this instance, Genesis 17, 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Up until that point, he'd revealed himself as God. Now he's telling Abraham his second name. My surname, incidentally, Abraham, is Almighty. And this actually changed everything. Within a year, his wife had a child. And yet he's been waiting 20 years for promise. But the day he realizes that God's not just God, but he's almighty God, not just has might, but has all might, all of a sudden things change. And within a year, the child of promise comes into reality. It's incredible. God is the God of all power. Any power that there is on this earth, God authored. There isn't any other power that he hasn't authored. The power of intellect, the power of gravity, the power of magnetic fields, God authored those powers. All powers were authored by God. If you have a battery and you start using that battery, then the power in the battery starts to whittle away to the point where it's weaker than it was. Now, you know that. You go out to the car some mornings and (coughs) boom, nothing, right? Well, I hope it doesn't go boom. (laughs) But (coughs) batteries, the power is whittled away. But the thing is, God, having created the earth and the galaxies, has not any less power today than he had before he began creating, because he is the source of all power. 
when God made the archangels, when God gives power to the angels and men and mountains and seas, God is just as powerful today as he was before he started. He's the same amount of power. He's the God who sets the the stars in their courses. He sets the planets in their orbits. He spins the, the world on its axis and sustains it all. He is very capable of sustaining your life. He is very capable of taking care of you. This is the God we're describing here. You see, if you had a king, uh, who, imagine a king who's in his palace with a king in his, uh, a crown on his head and a scepter in his hand and a robe on his shoulder and in, sitting on his throne and it, as people approach him in his palace, they cower before him. They call him your majesty. Out back, there's a little girl and a little boy and they'll come in and they'll call him Daddy. Because God is almighty, and yet incredibly, he is our father who is in heaven. He's, he's in heaven. He's absolutely big. In fact, the Bible says the heavens cannot even contain him. And yet, he's our father. Incredible. So colossal. And yet, so intimate. That's God. Religion and philosophy has made God a distant, unapproachable being of our own invention. And yet, God is real he is incredible, he is unfathomable, he is all-powerful, and he can be your dad. You see, the terms hard and easy don't apply to God, because God is the one who has all the power that there is. Terms hard and easy apply to me, they apply to you, but not to God. He can do anything. So you might say, well, my life, man, it's, you should see my life, it's like a tangled mess of mess. I mean, how on earth can my life get unravel and become right again? Well, it's not a problem to God. It's not hard to God because hard and easy are meaningless to God because he is the God of all power and all wisdom. He can unfangle the hardest of lives if you allow your life to be placed in his hands. He's incredible. The Bible says in Jeremiah 20, 32 verse 17, Ah, Lord God, behold... You made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult to you. Say that with me. Nothing is too difficult for you. Jesus said, Matthew 19, 26, he said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. For years, we've read this verse wrong. We said, for God, all things are possible. But it says, it doesn't say for, it says, with God, we know for God all things are possible, but the word with in the Greek language is the Greek word para, which means alongside. So the point is this, it's not just God isolated from you does all things impo- that are impossible, but actually the great truth as we move into the New Testament is this, that God with you in partnership wants to do the impossible. We've been looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're found recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go there. This is our key text. And we're going to look at the last three gifts recorded um, that we haven't looked, we looked at previous six. It says in verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So what we've, we've gone through this list, and as you'll see, there's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit listed here. We've categorized them, nine gifts, in three categories. Thinking like Jesus, speaking like Jesus, and acting like Jesus. Or it can be categorized as revelation gifts, vocal gifts, or the power gifts. So today we're looking at the power gifts, or acting like Jesus. So the categories are thinking like Jesus, that's knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. Speaking like Jesus, that's tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. And this week we're going to be looking at faith, healing, and miracles, the power gifts. So let's, let's go through them. I'm going, to, I'm going to look at faith and miracles, but in the one where we talk about healing, we're going to unpack that a lot more because there's a lot to be said about that whole subject. 
So first of all, the gift of faith. Now we understand that it's by faith we're saved. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. How are you saved? You're saved by grace through faith. What does that mean? It means that what Jesus did on the cross all those years ago, that that becomes effective in your life when you trust him. It's not when you live a good enough life or when you tick enough religious boxes, but when you put your full trust, not on your own morality to save yourself, but fully on him who died as your substitute on the cross. Today I put my faith in him. Now you think you did that, but the Bible reveals actually even your ability to put your faith in him was a gift from him. Your salvation has got nothing to do with your goodness or what you can muster up. It's not even like, oh, I've mustered up enough faith, now I can get saved. No, no, it's a gift from God. It's incredible. You know what? You, you, some people wonder, am I, am I saved? Am I still saved? And you know, when you look at people like Drew, you think, man, I can understand the dilemma. But the truth is, here's the truth. The question isn't, are you taking all the religious boxes? The question is, do you have faith in God? I don't just mean, did you have faith in God 10 years ago when you went to that meeting and you said, I put my faith in Jesus. But currently today, do you believe him? Do you today trust him as your savior? Do you? If you do, the faith that you have today is as much a gift of God to you actively, currently, right now in the present as it was 10 years ago when you got it the first time. It's not like he gave you that gift and said, left you to it. It's a constant giving of that gift. If there is faith in your life, in that work of Christ on the cross, then you, my friend, are a saved person. It's that act of faith in that saving power of God that indicates you're a saved person. Now, you put your faith in him. If you have never done that today, I appeal to you, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then I don't know what you're trusting in to get you saved but you're in a really bad predicament. I really believe that. I wouldn't say that just for a fair. I wouldn't say that just to wind you up. I'm saying it because I believe it with all my heart. If you don't know God, you're in a seriously dangerous place in life. And I would urge you and I would plead with you, give your life to God. Put your faith in Jesus. Don't look back. Wholeheartedly live for him from this day forward. At the end of the service, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. So faith, we understand as a gift, Sure. But when it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of faith isn't the gift that you get when you get saved. It's talking about an an additional type of faith. So I guess you could describe it as the saving faith, but then as the Amplified Translation puts it from 1 Corinthians 12, the list of the gifts of the Spirit, the Amplified Translation renders the gift wonder-working faith. It's not just faith to get you saved. You've got that. But how many people know that sometimes you come against a situation as a saved person and you think, man, I don't think I can overcome that mountain. Then all of a sudden, as if from nowhere, a level of faith rises in your heart way bigger than the obstacle in front of you. And all of a sudden, what seems so intimidating to you before is like, yeah, no problem. That's the gift of faith. What is faith? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, this is the definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I understand in the world, people define faith in many ways, typically in a lightweight way. Yeah, I believe in God. But it's not like, it's, it's like they believe in him like they, it's like they pick a hobby or it's not like it affects them in any dramatic way. But truly, faith isn't a wishful thinking or an optimism or an opinion. Faith is an assurance. It's an assurance of things hoped for. Some people describe what they've got as faith when actually what they've got is hope or wishful thinking. I hope there's a God there, what they, what they mean to say. But they use the word faith. But true faith is an assurance. It's gone from here to here. You know. You just know. It's not like you're wondering anymore. You know. Now, sure, even people who know and have true faith in God might even still get doubts in their head. 
But right down deeper than their head, in their spirit realm, in their heart, you just know. It's not like you have an opinion about God. You know he is. You know he is your father. You know he is your savior. You know. And nothing but nothing can persuade you because no one persuaded you in the first place. You just knew. That's faith. Well, it's like a peace. Some people are they're, they're kind of, they're, they're facing a challenge and you can see them striving. I'm going to take this challenge on. I'm in faith. But there's such a stress about them. And I would say they're not in faith because a faith is a peace, a resting. It's just, I know this is going to be, this is in the bag. And I've seen this. I remember when Andrew Owen uh, threw in Glasgow, they were in the middle of purchasing their city center building. I mean, they just faced insurmountable odd against insurmountable odd. It was just incredible. It was like a colossal mountain. But whenever you spoke to Andrew, I always thought, I, I really hope this comes through for you, Andrew, because he was so confident. I mean, he's pinning posters up all around their existing building saying, this is our new building. <laughs> and I knew the legal wanglings and all the challenges they were facing behind the scenes. And Andrew's confident, no, it's ours. He just knew. <laughs> he just knew. And I thought, wow, I didn't have the faith that he had for that situation, but I didn't need it because I wasn't leading the church. All I know was this. See, when it came to buy our first building in Leith, we had 50 people and everyone was skint, right? And we needed money. And everyone gave what they could, right? We robbed banks. We just did everything we could, right? No, I'm kidding you. I'm just kidding. Uh, we just did everything we could. And yet, I remember with one week to go, I had to find 13,000 pounds. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know where to find 13,000 pounds in a week. I'd phoned everyone I knew. I'd done everything. And I remember up in the hills, just going for a walk across a big field. And I remember just saying, God, you know, we've got this 13,000 pounds, by the way. Just, just in case you'd forgotten, I wanted to remind him. And I said, okay, do you know what? It's totally cool. I just knew. Now, within a day before the deadline it came in, I really wish you wouldn't do that. I, re- I really, why not like a month, Lord, so we can have a, you know, a relaxation period before the deal goes through. Why not, right? But no, it's always going to be like last minute when you're I still trust, you know. Now, there was a natural nervousness, but every penny came in. Same with this building. It seems an, an illogical step. It seems, you know, why would you want to go from that side of town to this side of town? You think about it, seriously. God led us. That's why. And when this building was on the market, 900,000 pounds we had to find. This is, this is, plus the refurbishment cost. We had to believe for that. And we gave what we could. But you know what? Throughout the whole process, I knew there was a faith in my heart. That's the gift of faith. And you get a gift of faith to get you saved, but there will be times in your life where a gift of faith will come to cause you to overcome obstacles that you couldn't have overcome by yourself. Augustine said this, faith is to believe what we do not see and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. Okay, secondly, the gifts of healing. It says gifts, plural, because there are many diseases, therefore you need many types of solution for the disease. Now, this to be clear, the Bible has no problem with medicine. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he was a physician. Jesus, on numerous occasions, spoke of in analogies about doctors and physicians and their usefulness and their helpfulness. Jesus had no problem with uh, medical cures, even though he operated greatly in the miraculous and healing. It's interesting, listen to this verse. This is in the Amplified Translation. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Amplified. See when I put little abbreviations after things, AMP, that's just a different translation. And the Amplified, what it does is it amplifies the original language. It actually takes stuff in the Greek that, and it kind of expands the full meaning of the Greek into the English. And this is, this is, this is what it, or in this case it will be the Hebrew because it's the Old Testament. And this is what it says. He who does not use his endeavors to heal himself is a brother to him who commits suicide. So if you're sick, what should you do? Do everything. Everything. I mean, everything. Get yourself to the front, get someone to lay hands on you and pray for you. Pray and fast. Go to the doctor. Go back to the doctor. Get back to the front of the church. Change your diet. Start a health regime. Just do everything to nail that thing. Because it's ugly and it's horrendous and you've got to nail it. God is against disease and sickness. You should be too. You've got to pull everything out against that thing. And it's not like God is one of many options. What you do is you trust him in the whole thing. 
You see, God's not against the medical world. He's against being second. <laughs> this is an example in, uh, in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12. Through his, though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek the Lord, help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. You know, this, and I think sometimes we do this. Sometimes we just, we kind of go down the human route rather than trusting God. And I, and I don't mean we shouldn't go down the human route. I'm saying we should trust God whatever route we're going down. So start with God. Say, God, I've got this situation in my life. Now, God right there can heal you. God can get you healed in church or in your home. Totally can. But either way, you can then say, okay, God, I trust you. And in faith, I'm going to the doctors. No problem. But just don't kind of ignore God. Involve God in the whole thing. Don't think that going to, if, if you're going to the doctors, like it's an act of unbelief. All right, I can't trust God to get it by a miracle. And then some of you feel guilty for going to doctors. Nonsense. Just do everything you can. And whatever you do, umbrella it all with faith in a great God. Who can work through doctors? But when we're talking about the gift of healings, it's not talking about medical world here. It's talking about the supernatural healing power of God. We believe God is a miracle-working God. I believe he heals people. Now, some people say, brother, I guess all that's left is all we can do now is pray. As if that's the last option. It's like, oh, it's got that bad, is it? Oh no, we're going to have to turn to God? Are you kidding me on? Whoa. Start with him. Let me read you a, a testimony. Uh, is Kitty or Jenny in this room? No? Okay, yes, understandable. Jenny's usually down at least. Kitty runs the... Uh, is Kitty there? Where's Kitty? There's Kitty. Hi, Kitty. Did you forget who you were for a minute? Yeah. Yeah, okay, hi. You're Kitty, by the way. That's your husband, Steve. <laughs> now, Kitty has a dad. You remember his name? Yeah, Dr. David Malcolm up in Shetland. And uh, let me read you, um, in fact, let me just describe it to you. David Malcolm, um, 2007 it was, he'd, he'd had for 10 years a pacemaker in his heart. His heart had been running slow and, and, and wasn't functioning at 100%. Therefore, they had to put a pacemaker in place. And every six months, he went to the uh, technicians to get this checked out. He had it for 10 years. In that time, every six months, it typically would show his heart was doing 70% of the work it should have been doing, and the pacemaker was picking up the 30% slack to keep him alive. Anyway, 2008 comes, 2007, 2008, and he took a real bad turn, and he was rushed, he was flown from Shetland down to Aberdeen, is that correct? Yeah. And as a secondary condition, and this time actually made his heart go fast, I believe, so he had this thing where sometimes it went slow and sometimes it went fast and he had to have B blocker and all sorts of stuff to help counteract it. On the back of that, he had to go every three months to the technician and it really, I mean, it looked severe. I remember there was a moment where we were really fearing for his life. Anyway, that particular evening when I heard this news, I was around at Katie and Steve's house. They, they uh, run a small group and I was around at their house and we, we just as a small group decided, let's, let's pray for uh, Kitty's dad. So, he wasn't there in present, so what we did is we took a handkerchief. I took one of mine, I hadn't used it, so we could use that. Uh, we anointed it with oil, and we prayed over the handkerchief as a small group, and we asked God for a healing in Dr. Malcolm, and we put it in the post. And uh, he received this handkerchief. Uh, he's a believer in Christ, and he said, okay, God, I trust you. And he, he knew there's nothing special about the handkerchief. I mean, it's not like, you know, you can buy one of these at the end of the service for a tenner. <laughs> I could get on TV for that kind of stuff, couldn't I? Hey! <laughs> okay, in the Bible, right? Just so you think I'm crazy. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul, uh, it says that aprons were taken, uh, apron, I don't know why they had aprons, anyway, aprons were taken from his body and laid on the sick and they were healed, right? So it's nothing special about the hanky, um, but we sent up to Dr. Malcolm and he said he, he laid it on his forehead. He just sat in the presence of God for 15 minutes. And that was that. Started feeling better. Went back to the technicians. And the technicians rec- reported from that day forwards, uh, his heart was performing 100%. The 
the pacemaker was redundant from that day forward. And it's not like it's just from that general time forward because they can literally, they can monitor the, every, every three months when he goes for a checkup, there's a little re- recorder inside this thing that tells you exactly from day to day how your heart performed. And from that day forward, his heart was performing 100%. And he didn't write to us and tell us this because he's a GP. He didn't want to tell, he didn't want to claim a miracle prematurely, right? Because I think some people claim things too prematurely and it gives God a bad name. But he, he didn't want to do that. So he, he kind of hung around for about six, seven months before he actually told us. He'd gone several times to the GPs, sorry, to the, um, to the surgeon and to the technician just to double check this. But indeed, pacemaker, totally redundant. I believe in a God who heals. God does that kind of stuff. Yay, God. Okay, before I share more stories, let me just go into some of the things that we need to understand about. This is some theology about healing. First of all, Jesus is our model and our theology. Jesus was supernatural. His, his birth came on the back of over 3,000 prophecies predicting his arrival. That's pretty supernatural. He was born by a supernatural means through a virgin birth. He left the world through supernatural means through a resurrection. The virgin's womb and the empty tomb bookend the life of Jesus. In his life, I mean, he was known for the miraculous. There are nine miracles recorded in the Gospels where he performed over nature. One of them was 4, 000, feeding the 4,000, feeding the 5,000, stilling the storm, walking in water, money in a fish's mouth, withering of a fig tree, two miraculous caches of fish, water into wine. There are 20 recorded healings in the Gospels, including leprosy, paralytics, internal bleeding, blindness, and deafness. There are three resurrections recorded in the Gospels. The ruler's daughter, the widow's son, and Lazarus. And there are four exorcisms recorded in the Gospels. At the end of John's Gospel, it says, John 21, 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose, even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Jesus did a ton of miracles. There are numerous occasions in the Gospels where it says, and he healed them all. Now, you might, the Bible might pick on one and tell the little story, but it says he healed them all. So there might have been 4,000 stories that day, right? And that was just one day in the life of Jesus. He performed incredible miracles, His miraculous claims and the claims of the Bible aren't just biblical claims. There are many extra biblical material from historians and writers outside of Jesus' apostles who describe Jesus. For example, Pontius Pilate. In his uh, journal of the Acts of Pontius Pilate, he said this about Jesus. At his coming, the lame will leap as a deer. The stammering tongue will clearly speak. The blind will see. The lepers will be healed. And the dead will rise and walk. Pontius Pilate wrote that in his memoirs. Josephus, in the Antiquities of the Jews, said this. Now, there was about that time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of surprising feats. And there's, uh, in, in the exultant writings of Julius Africanus, if you're ever going to write a book, call it that, the exultant writings of Alan Parkinson. I was like, wow. Not that you feel, think highly of yourself, right? the, the exultant writing. But he said this. Phygelan records at the time of Tiberius Caesar, at the full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour till the ninth. I mean, even the eclipse at the crucifixion of the Christ is recorded outside of the Bible. The the Gospels record the historic facts of Jesus' miracle power. And I believe Jesus still does this stuff. Do you know that to be saved, you need to believe in the supernatural? You can't even be saved unless you believe in miracles. It says in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You need to believe in the biggest miracle of all, even to be saved. You need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our starting point when it comes to any theology cannot be our experience. It has to be the Bible has to be Jesus himself. Because here's the truth. Your experience will come and go. Emotions will come and go. But the Bible is constant. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words remain forever. 
Now listen, I have compassion on people for this one because my mum died with cancer, but my dad was healed of a terminal disease. So if I'm basing my expectation of the miraculous on experience, what am I going to come up with? At best, 50-50. I've prayed for numerous people who haven't been healed. But I cannot base my theology on experience. But what I've noticed is this. As I believe the right stuff from the Bible, I've noticed my experiences start to change. And it's changing more and more and more. Why is it that churches that believe and teach from the Bible about healings see more healings and miracles than churches that don't believe and teach from the Bible about healings? Is it that God wants to do it more there than there? Or is it that there's something about God's eternal truth when impacting a people actually starts to bear the fruits that's been described in the text? Jesus said this, he who has seen me, John 14, 9, has seen the Father. For me, this means that Jesus is perfect theology. You want to know what the Father thinks about healing? Look at Jesus. I challenge you to find one verse in the Gospels that says, and he healed all these people, but then this one poor bloke came along and Jesus said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to heal you. There's not one. You just don't find it in there. In fact, the emphasis is constantly, and he healed them all, he healed them, he healed them. He never denied someone. He never rebuked someone for asking too much. He often rebuked people for asking too little. Notice the emphasis. That was Jesus. Therefore, with God, healing is the rule, not the exception. And sometimes with our experience, healing is the exception, not the rule. So how many people would like their experience to change? How many people would like to see the temperature rise? Half of you, that's good. Okay, well, that's all right. That's good. Let me persuade the other half of you. How many would like, I'd, I'd like to see the temperature rise in our city. I'd like to see a, a change taking place by which a, a different expectation can be here. God knows the city needs that. You know, the funny thing is when I, when I went to Kenya and prayed for the sick in Kenya, I remember one night I went into this, this building and it, it was such dark, I mean, it was a dark room, there was a generator powering a couple of light bulbs that were kind of flickering on and off, and there was huge big hornets flying around my head. It was really cool. And there was about 200 folks packed in, and then we shared, I preached, and at the end we prayed for the sick. And I have to tell you, I don't know one person that wasn't healed. It was one condition after another, and we prayed, and every single one was healed. And to, to, to the degree that they could test their condition instantly, whether it was a lump, it had gone, whether it had been arthritis, it had left. So what's the difference between Kenya and here? Well, it's warmer. <laughs> but I don't think it's to do with that. Hornets, yeah. Could do that. Ah, that's what it was. It was the hornets. Okay, nah. Or it could have been there's maybe a different expectation and a different premise. What about the cross? When Jesus died on the cross, did he deal with our sicknesses as well as our sin? Let me just read to you Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being was upon him. And by scourging, we are healed. Every moment of the crucifixion, the build-up to the crucifixion that Jesus went through was for your benefit. Ultimately, for your eternal salvation. But it's really clear here that it wasn't just for your eternal salvation, but it's also for your well-being. And it's for your sicknesses. By scourging, you're healed, it says. The word griefs, interestingly, and it's quoted in the New Testament in this way, the word griefs and sorrows are translated in the Hebrew language, sicknesses and pains. And that's how they're quoted in the New Testament. Some people say, ah, but Peter, what that's talking about is talking about inner healing, spiritual healing. That's what Jesus came to do. And yet, when the New Testament quotes Isaiah 53, it quotes it in the context of physical healing. Let me read it to you. Matthew eight fifteen to 17. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and waited on him. This is Peter's mother-in-law. When evening came, they brought to him many 
who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirit with a word, and he healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. That's a quote from the same collection of verses. The context, the way the New Testament applies those verses, isn't inner healing. And I think it applies to inner healing. It does. But the New Testament applies those verses to physical healing. Do you know, there is a difference between sin and sickness. Sin is the cause. Sickness is the effect. Sin is to the soul what sickness does to the body. Sin will result in the eternal death of a human being unless your sin is dealt with. And that's why Jesus died. Sickness deals with the physical death of a human being, physically. When Jesus came, the big agenda was to take away the sin of the world. That's the big agenda of the cross, undoubtedly. You put your faith in Jesus, your sin is removed. But I also believe not just the the root cause, but also the effects of sin, including sickness, are dealt with in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So why aren't all people healed? Let me just throw out some reasons. Sometimes it's lack of faith or fear. Not always. And this is not to make you feel condemned. This is hopefully to be helpful. You know, you know Jesus asked on numerous occasions when people came to him, he said, do you believe I'm able to do this for you? That was his constant question. He says when he came to his hometown in Matthew 13, verse 58, he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. They stopped God. That's quite a thought. They actually stopped God. Was it that he didn't want to do many mighty miracles there? No. Of course, just like any other place he went to, he would be wanting to do those things. And yet he could not do, he could not do many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Lack of faith hinders what God wants to do. Um. Galatians 3 verse 5. So again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? In other words, does God do great things for you because you've been so good or because you believe him? It's because you believe him. And conversely, fear is the opposite to faith. It's faith going the wrong way. Faith is trusting God for the good things that God has for you. Fear is anticipating negative results and evil. And actually, just as faith activates God, so also fear activates Satan. It says in, you know, people often talk about the book of Job. And they say, well, God allowed Job to get sick. And yes, he did. And God allows millions of people to get sick. Because he's let the world spin on an axis and he's totally intervening. But he's let things take a certain course. But he will operate in partnership with human beings when permission is given. Job, while he allowed Satan to do what Satan did to Job, God was not the author of the sickness. And you need to know this, that Satan was the author of Job's sickness. And actually, Job also allowed that to happen in his life. It says in Job 3 verse 25, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded, has happened to me. I believe fear activates Satan just as faith activates God. The second thing you need to, sometimes people aren't healed because there's a need for a gift and anointing. It's interesting, one of the gifts listed in Corinthians is the gift of healings. And I've said this before, I believe all the gifts are available to all believers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit who has all the gifts is in your life. However, it is the case that some people operate more in some gifts than others. So, for example, next week, Ivan's coming. Ivan operates mightily in the gift of miracles and healings. He operates in that powerfully. Probably, well, along with many others, like Peter Batorius that I know, he operates so mightily in that gift. He sees great things happen. Now, I believe, therefore, to experience miracles while it is the case you can be prayed for by your friends, there is something about working with someone who has that particular anointing as well. And I would recognize that in this church and I would operate in those gifts in the church. Andrew McGreen, give us a wave for us, Andrew. 
Andrew is one of the elders. Andrew often prays for the sick and sees miraculous results. The, th- the next thing to say, see, is the kingdom is, but is not yet. What do I mean by that? Well, we, we, we pray that prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it will be done in heaven. You know, there is a truth that just now we're in this in-between time between the era of Christ's first coming and the ultimate coming of Christ, the, the return of Christ, when the kingdom will be established in, in reality, in the new heavens and the new earth. But we're living in this time when the kingdom is, but is not yet. Our prayer currently is, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it will be done in heaven. How many people know in heaven there's no sickness? There's no sin. There's no suffering. There's no tears or sorrow. So we're living in this world where actually some of that, a lot of that stuff, all that stuff is totally in our lives. And not just in the lives of people who haven't got God, but in the lives of people who have got God. So we're living in this tension of a, we're believing in a kingdom that is to come and yet is coming in our lives just now. So the reality, you know, it's, it's, it's the strangest thing. Um, Smith Wigglesworth, his daughter was just stone deaf. Smith Wigglesworth had to wear glasses while preaching. And yet Smith Wigglesworth, if you read his biographies, he saw the most incredible miracles. Bill Johnson, who's pretty well known these days in Bethel, Redding, California. You know, his, his, is it his son is deaf. And yet he sees many people healed of deafness. So why is it that you can have a situation yourself? You know, I remember the first time I did a healing service. Ivan wasn't through. I was doing the healing service. And this was a big thing for me. I was thinking, oh, Lord, you're going to have to turn up and do this. <laughs> Imagine the pressure. Imagine you run a healing service. How do you feel, right? I felt like that. Like, oh, really makes you pray. Anyway, that week I got sick. I had a flu. <laughs> so I signed up the healing service. And I had the hanky, but this time I had used it, right? It was, and I was trying to, I better take air freshener and everything. <laughs> air freshener? No, <laughs> breath freshener. <clears throat> Maybe that was what's wrong. I took the air freshener instead. And then I was like, I'll pray for these guys. I just won't breathe in them. And I was feeling terrible, but amazingly, people were getting healed. I think, man. <laughs> it's incredible. We're living in a world where the kingdom is, and yet, uh, it's, it's coming, but and it, it, it yet yeah, is not. It's we're in this in between time, and we're believing for something great, but we're in an in between time. And there are many other reasons, many reasons. Bitterness in the soul can hinder people from receiving miracles. Sometimes the miracle isn't just dependent on someone praying over them. Sometimes the miracle is dependent actually on the, de- the demonic issue that needs to be resolved before the miracle comes to fruition. But do you know what? As well, sometimes we'll never know the reasons, and actually. I think God being a loving God, if there is a reason why the miracle delays, he'll let you know. But actually, I've seen this happen, that some people get so analytical about, why hasn't the miracle happened yet? They get so analytical in it, that their over-analysis of it becomes a fear in itself. And they become all uptight and so stressed out, have I not confessed the word? Have I got fear in my heart? Have I got a curse on me? And you know, you're kind of looking at every potential issue, and, and actually, what it's resulted in is not faith, but paranoia. So, do you know what? Having looked at the reasons, at the end of the day, you just trust God. And do you know what? What if you never get healed? Well, worship Him anyway, because you're not got faith in miracles. You've got faith in God. And even if the miracle doesn't come, it doesn't mean that God isn't good. I don't know what it means. Maybe that side of eternity, we will know what it means. But it certainly didn't mean God doesn't love you and he isn't good. So you can worship him. You can worship him and thank him despite the circumstance. And if, if the miracle doesn't come, don't stop rejoicing with others who the miracle happens to. When they get the miracle, and that being the miracle you've been praying and believing for, you've got to guard your heart because otherwise... You might find a bitterness and you think, man, I can't rejoice in that. Keep your heart soft. If what if the miracle doesn't come? Well, keep praying. Keep persevering. That's why it says ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. If the miracle doesn't come, what if it never comes and I die with the sickness? 
Well, die in faith. Die trusting. That's the way to die. And your faith was in a good God and you will be rewarded in all eternity because he is a good God. You were not deceived in that one. He is such a good God. So we don't know all the, all the answers to all the questions, but what we do know is God is good and he is not the author of sickness and he does perform great miracles. Oh man, I've got, I've got so much more to say. How does this always happen? Do you guys do something to my phone timer? I just give me a few. I remember praying for Aaron Simpson. Aaron, when he first came to our church, the bottom four vertebrae of his spine had fused together and become, the calcium deposits had made them into like one bone. And uh, so as a result, he had no mobility, couldn't bend over. He wasn't able to run. And having in his teenage years been an, you know, in the athletic club and so on, he wasn't able to run now. He was in constant pain. I remember praying for him in Leith at the end of the service. I just, you, know, you remember these things. I remember putting my hand on his back and all of a sudden his whole back started to vibrate. Incredible. And then after praying, he bent and his, he was completely flexible. All his bones had unfused. He went back to his chiropractor and the specialists who had been looking at him and they said, this is amazing. We've never seen this reversed. We've never seen it go from becoming one, almost one bone to becoming all separate, but all your vertebrae are completely independent and moving, and he was able to run straight away after that. Incredible. And so that, that, that was awesome. I remember um, praying for a lady called Carol, and Carol had a skin condition. And the skin condition, was a, it was a, she had it for 10 years. It was a chronic skin condition that caused intense itching. And the, the skin condition was such that it was, it was so severe that she had deep cracks all over her back and down her arms, and it wasn't just temporary, it was permanent scarring. So she would never wear a short-sleeved top out of embarrassment of her condition. And we prayed for her that night uh, in an evening service. And she experienced instantly the, the itching left. And that was great. Everything was still there, but the itching left. So she went to bed that night and woke up in the morning and all the scars were gone. <laughs> I was wow. So these things just embed in your mind. You think, God, you're so good. Remember the cleaner, the, uh, when I worked for the first five years after starting the church, between 1998 and 2003, I worked in a city center architects firm. One of the guys uh, who worked there was uh, the cleaner, John the cleaner. He lives in the Gorgie area, actually. And he was one of the lads. And I was often sharing my faith with my other work colleagues. And, and you know, that was the conversation we had ongoing. But John, I told him about Jesus. I told him about the church we'd started and I said, why didn't you come along this Easter? So he came along to our Easter Sunday service. At the end of the service, he got prayed for. He had arthritis in both his knees. He had to wear bandages over both knees every day when he was in work. And we, we were in one of the new town townhouses, so there was lots of stairs, and he was in a lot of pain going up and down. He was one of the lads. Everyone loved him. We prayed for him at the end of the service, and God totally, instantly healed his knees. He arrived in work the next day, like four o'clock in the afternoon, when, it, when the cleaners came in to clean up after everyone. And he, went, he was going around everyone, all the people I've been telling about Jesus, he was going around everyone and say, I went to his church and God healed my knees. Look, and he would do this. And he, he was one of the, I said, I said, look, see, there is a God. And I remember one of the, the directors who I would, I, we had a great banter. Uh, they knew where I stood in these things. But I remember one of the directors said, so what do you think of that? And he said, I just can't go there. I just can't, can't think of that. There's a real God who wants to do real things and he wants to do it through you and I. Do you know, I've never felt, okay, I can take this disease on. I've never felt that. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, is that your problem? No problem. I've never felt that. I always think, is that your condition? Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> and I, you look cool on the outside. But inside you're thinking, oh, man. But it's all right because it's not you versus the disease. It's God versus the situation. And God wants to do it through ordinary people. The gift of the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts is healing. And the final gift I want to tell you about is the effecting of miracles. You see, well, what's the difference between healings and miracles, Peter? Well, I would say a miracle, so a healing is an accelerated natural process. You know, like if you had a flu and you hung around for a couple of weeks, it'd probably go. But if you get prayed for and it instantly goes, that was a healing. Whereas a miracle is going beyond the natural causes. So if you're walking along and you bump your head in a lamppost and you get a bruise, 
and someone prays for you, and instantly the bruise goes down. Is that a healing or a miracle? It's a healing, okay, because it's an accelerated natural process. If you're walking along, you hit the lamppost, and your head falls off, right? <laughs> and someone prays for you, and your head grows back. Is that a healing or a miracle? Right, how many people know there ain't no antibodies that are going to help you there? Oh, my immune system kicked in, you know? It's a bit faster. <laughs> right, okay, so vividly, that makes it. So it is the truth. All healings are miracles. That is the truth. All healings are miracles. But not all miracles are healings. There are many miracles Jesus performed, like walking on the water. That's nothing to do with healing. It goes beyond the natural sequence of events. My friends, <coughs> Gavin Ross, uh, is a lawyer from Spain. And he goes to an expat church uh, over in Spain. I went to Destiny College with him for a year. That's how I know him. And he's back in Spain. Uh, he, he told me that on, at the end of one of the services, there was a, an elderly gentleman there, and in the middle of the service, he died. Now, I have people falling asleep in my sermons, but I mean, that's, <laughs> that just takes the biscuit, right? This guy died, and he'd gone well, blue in his lips and everything. He had a heart attack and died. He was carried to the back of the, into a back room, and uh, the paramedics were called. The ambulance was arriving. As the ambulance was coming, Gavin and one of the other elders just gathered around him and prayed for healing. Well, prayed for resurrection. Um, and the guy revived. The guy had he'd gone, he'd stopped breathing, his heart stopped, blue lips and everything dead. Right? Trust me, he was dead. And he revived. They got him into the ambulance, people came, they did test him. And he'd had a heart disease for years. And they checked him out, and there wasn't a trace of the heart disease. So not only had he resurrected, but the disease which had got him in the predicament in the first place disappeared. Now you might think, well, this is a bit far-fetched, Peter. I know it is. It really is. I just think God's bigger than anything you can ever imagine or, or beyond the normal course of things. God is not hard or easy because those terms don't mean anything to him. He's the one who contains all power all knowledge and all wisdom. So I urge us as a people to start really believing for the great things. It's an important week this week. We're going to pray and fast. That's not persuading, twisting God's arm up behind his back. We won't eat until you answer our prayers. That's not what we're doing here. We're saying, God, we believe you're a great God. Any barriers in our lives remove. We want to get ourselves in a place where as a people, you can do this. So this isn't the leaders praying and fasting. This is the church praying and fasting. Please, church, join us in this week. One day, two days, the whole week, however you want to do it. If you have eating disorders, please don't fast. It's the worst thing you can do. Fast in a different way. Like, you know, skip Facebook or whatever Drew said. Uh, but do fast, create space in your life to pray. There's prayer meetings every, every day this week. We're calling on God not just for the healing services on Sunday. We're calling on God for the entire season ahead. We're praying, God, would you be with us as we move mightily into this next season? Do some great things, we pray. And we want to see God do the great things that we've discussed and talked about. And we're just seeing it like a trickle just now. But I'd love it to see like a river where God's people are seeing these things all the time. So can you trust God to do the impossible through your life and in your life? You might be facing an impossible situation. Can you trust that God is the God who could change that predicament around? And can you trust that God is the God who can do the impossible through you, through your hands, through your words, through your interactions with another person? Don't just see it as, oh, that's the pastor or that's one of the leaders. None of us feel qualified. The only thing that qualifies us is what Jesus did on the cross. See yourself as a child of God and believe that he can do these great things through you. Start to step out. And let's do it in-house. But also let it get out into the streets, into your workplaces, with the bouncers. If you go to a nightclub, <laughs> like Johnny does. <laughs> Wherever you go, bring this life of God with words and deeds all for the glory of God. Never take credit for a miracle. You know fine well you couldn't have done that miracle. 
As soon as someone gets healed after it, tell them, wow, you thank God now. Get, get, God's, get God the focus because it's him that did it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that the miracles, Jesus, you performed in your earthly ministry are the miracles we can expect in our lives, in our communities, in our families. God, we just want to say, we just want to glorify you by saying, nothing's too big for you. We want to glorify you by declaring our faith. God, there is nothing too big for you. Say that together with me. There is nothing too big for you, God. There is nothing too big for you, God. We glorify you, God. God, I exalt you over every situation in this room. Every illness, ailment, disease. I exalt you over every disease in this room. I say, God... There is no condition in this room that you are not more than capable of healing and removing with a touch of your power. And God, we thank you that you want to work through us. God, I want to exalt you over this people. I believe you get glory by doing great things to a people who feel unqualified to see great things happen. In our weakness, God, would you do great things? In our fumblingness, would you do great things through us? God, thank you for that story that Johnny shared about the bouncer coming to faith. God, give us all stories like that, we pray. This week, let us share our faith. Let us interact with this city. Let lives be touched and changed so deeply and profoundly. Oh God, do it through us, we ask. Do it through us, we ask, God. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. So Father, this week as we're going into a season of fasting and prayer, we go into this season with faith. We believe you, God. We believe you, God. Okay, respond to God. Just ever stand before him. Respond to God in his presence. Ask him that he will do these things in your life, through your life. worship song and during this worship song not at the end but at the end there'll be prayer as well but just during the worship song don't wait till the end if you want to be prayed for if you're here today you say Peter you might need a miracle you come forward we can pray for you next week as well Ivan will be here to pray for the sick as well but if you're here you're saying I want to see the gifts of the spirit operating in my life to a greater degree than ever before tongues interpretation prophecy knowledge, wisdom, discernment, healings, miracles, faith. I want to see these things operative in my life. I'm desperate to see God being God through me. Then just you come forwards, and a few more leaders would be great here. Just you come forwards, just during this next worship song, let this be your moment to respond and come forward hungry. Alan, could you come and pray as well for people? That'd be okay. And we're just going to just give space, so you just come forward just now as we're worshipping. And just before we do that, let me just say, if you're here today and you don't know God and you haven't given your life to him, this is the biggest moment for you. Let's just pray. Let's just take a moment in his presence. If you're here and you've never committed yourself to becoming a follower of Jesus, then just repeat this prayer after me. Let this be your moment to put your faith in him and commit to him. Pray, dear God, thank you for your love for me thank you Jesus for your death and your resurrection I believe you did it for me I believe you did it to save me today I commit my life to you 
Jesus, I turn from my sin. I turn to following you. Be the Lord of my life from this day forward. Hi, I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.